leading up to Thanksgiving, uh, we began talking about how that God, from time to time, will call us out of our, our, or from time to time, nudge or call or prompt us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. In fact, this happens to everyone. This happens even to those who are irreligious, atheists, or agnostic. Because if you think about it, even the act of coming to the point of deciding to put one's faith in Jesus Christ is in of itself, it's a nudge, it's a call, it's a prompting. But the thing is, this is never a one-and-done deal. I mean, putting our faith in Christ maybe, but as far as experiencing a calling or a prompting. Because as you continue your relationship in following Jesus throughout your life, Again, in, again sm- and sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways, God will call us out of our comfort zone to grow you, to strengthen you in your faith, to strengthen you in your trust in Him. And not just that, but because through you and through your obedience, He wants to impact the lives of those around you where He, he, is, he has uniquely placed you. And the biggest areas where it seems that God calls us out of our comfort zones is when it comes to our time our relationships, and our money. As an example of this, as uh, some of you may remember, that as we began to enter 2023, we found ourselves as a church in a cha- challenging financial situation, primarily because in t- 2022, we lost three of our largest donor families. Uh, one departed to go and help their son-in-law, who was stepping into a lead pastor role and to revitalize a local church. Uh, one, because of a heartbreaking divorce and one because of a family that just left for personal reasons. And by the way, like if you're new, you're new to faith, you think all church ever wants is money or whatever, as we often say here, like if you don't believe or you're not, you know, if, if you're not signed on to this, like this isn't for you. So you're getting some outsider information here. But being a smaller organization, we, we felt the impact and it created a gap that we needed to address. So a year ago, I communicated that to our community Uh, about that, and several, including my own family, decided to give above and beyond our regular giving, and that made a difference. Because our ability to have someone like me be able to focus full-time on our community and for us to gather in this rented space and for us to resource the next generation, the next-gen ministry, and for what we do online, our online presence, all these things require financial resources. And then this past spring, I did a message series called Hand Me Another Brick. How many of you were here for that series, Hand Me Another Brick? Okay, so a lot of you were here for that. And this was about discovering God's vision for your life, especially if you choose to be a part of a community of believers that we call the local church. Now, if you'll hang with me for just a second, I just want to recap something important from one of those messages because it sets the backdrop for something personal that you need to know and for how it connects to what we're going to talk about today. In one of those messages... We learned about how this ancient leader, Nehemiah, got an entire community rallied around this incredible mission, but it was more than just thoughts, prayers, and attendance. Every single person invested into accomplishing this vision through financial giving and generosity. With God's help, something amazing happened in an unmistakable way. I shared how that in America, that the average of what Americans give to not-for-profits is 2.5% of their income. And if I were to ask you, what do you think the average American Christian gives to the local church or to not-for-profits, most of us would assume, well, certainly Christians must give more, but the numbers tell a different story. The numbers tell that the average Christian, American Christian, gives 2.5% of their income. 
In other words, the average Christian gives the exact same as the average non-Christian. And worse, the more statistically an American Christian makes, the less they give. And I shared how as a Jesus follower, as a leader, I'm, I'm embarrassed by that fact. I'm embarrassed by the fact that the average Christian gives the same as the average non-Christian because we of all people have every reason to excel in generosity, even irrational generosity. I mean, we claim to believe in and serve a great God who went to great lakes to pay a great price to save us when we didn't deserve it. So if we claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, how can we possibly settle for being average to give God or the body of Christ, our scraps, or our leftovers, bits and pieces of our abundance. We of all people should, as the Apostle Paul termed it, excel in the grace of giving, meaning that we should give to the point that we feel it, that we have to adjust our lives around it, maybe downsides, downsides, motivated by the fact that God gave first, and because we don't want to just maintain the status quo and accomplish nothing more than just simply meeting as a group in a rented space on Sunday every week. We want to do more. We're motivated to give generously because we dream. We dream of hiring more staff, a youth pastor, an executive pastor who lives for the details, individuals who can focus part or full time on planning and leading and helping us grow in every way as a church and what happens in our walls and what happens outside of these walls throughout the week increasingly. We're motivated to give so that we can invest in more in inspiring and empowering the next generation and to do more with our partnerships and to have more partnerships with organizations like ICTSOS and being able to reach into and develop the next generation by potentially serving in the local schools and the community. And the question for all of us who claim to be Christians, who claim to be Jesus followers, was and is, are we willing to commit with both hands and both feet to fully engage in God's redemptive works in this city, in this way? Because if we're not, then if we're not willing to do that, then we don't deserve to be a, a building and we don't deserve to be a church. If we just want to be a place to go to church, there are plenty of places in Wichita to go to church. But if you're even a little like me, you want to see, you want to see God do something amazing in and through our church, but for great things to happen, there's always risk and always sacrifice involved. And last year in 2020, 2022, I shared that the, the average giving in new life was $140 a month average per adult of our regular attenders. And if you take the standard approach, kind of the old school approach of 10%, you know, give 10, tie 10%, the implication is that the average income of our individual regular attenders is $1,400 a month or $17,000 a year or about $3,000 a month or $36,000 a year for each family. And I think it's just safe to say that that's not the case. So nine months ago, the assignment was for all of us to go home and do the math and figure out what percentage of your income you'd been giving, directed towards God, directing towards the local church for the past six months. And if the percentage came to 2.5%, which is the national average for non-Christians or less, to just help you excel in that, beyond that average, your assignment was just to make it 5%, 5% or more. If you did the math and you're already giving it at 5%, but less than 10%, 10% your assignment was just to add 2% or more with the goal of getting to at least 10%. And as I've said, if, if we're a community where it's like, you know, I'm not sure I have that much faith in this church or this community, fine, don't give here, but give somewhere. Find something you believe in, in an organization. It's, it doesn't have to be here. 
But I was so inspired by those of you who joined me and my wife in doing this. Now, at this point in 2023, like I had to do the quick math, and somebody may prove, prove me wrong. But it, 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 based, on, based on my math, the average for the year increased 12% to $140 a month per adult of our regular attenders, or from $140 a month to $160 a month. And I'm so glad because it means that some of you are engaging a little more, but it also means that a lot are still missing out. And I share this for three specific reasons. The first is to refresh vision. The, the second is to update you as to, to any results. But the main reason is because, as I've often said from this stage, is that when it comes to anything and everything I talk about in this community, I'm 100% in it with you. And when I talk about God's callings and nudgings and promptings, always calling us out of our comfort zone, I speak from firsthand experience. Which means that last winter and spring, God was also calling me and my wife out of our comfort zone. And like many of you, here's how I felt about it. I didn't like it. Again, I'm just like you. It's called a comfort zone for a reason, because it's comfortable, and we like comfort. I mean, this time last year, we were already uncomfortable. We were in the process of building a, a home, and of course, inflation and interest rate decided to go way up into the right, and we had some unexpected family-related experiences due, a, due, due to a staffing change where my wife worked. Her hours got cut, so our income went down significantly. One of our cars got broken into, which cost hundreds of dollars. So all of that and more was going on in our personal lives. And yet at the same time, the church that we loved was in a spot where it needed help. And we love and believe in what God wants to do in and through this local church. So in 2022, as God was challenging you through me to step up last December, God was also challenging me. And then nine months ago, God was also challenging me to step up with you. And for the explicit purpose of giving you a tangible example of God's faithfulness, here's something you don't know. Last December... I felt God prompting me to increase our monthly giving to New Life, even though it made no logical sense. For our family, I mean, full disclosure, we, we already give, had give, been given around 12% of our income. And with everything going on in our financial world, I was feeling especially selfish. But I knew in my gut this was what God was nudging us to do. And so even though I didn't see how it was going to work out, we did it. That was December. Two weeks into January... My wife, Shauna, gets a call. It's a business owner that we actually happen to know and be in a relationship with, and he needs an office manager, and he wants her to come work for him. Three weeks later, she's now in a new job that now she actually loves. She never sought it out. It sought her, and it resulted in a 50% increase in the income that she was making prior to her hours being cut in the last job. What a coincidence. Then nine months ago, as I gave the specific challenge to test God by increasing your giving, I told you that Sean and I were in with both hands and both feet in our priority giving. And I needed a bunch of you to join us. And based upon what God has put in your hands and in your control, what I did not share publicly is that Sean and I increased again. And I'm not talking like huge amount. We just are making incremental increases in our monthly giving. And with the support of my amazing wife, we opted for me to take an $800 a month reduction 
in my pay package for three months because we are truly committed to what we want to see God do in this church. And I will tell you that we talked to our financial advisor, who is a Christian, and he advised us against this, but we did it anyways. And then six months later, after making this decision, we had our annual meeting with that same advisor and discovered that in those six months, in a down market, we had realized a 30% increase in our savings for our winter years, should we get there. And during that six months, we had a series of family-related uh, expenses that meant, so I thought in the moment, we're going to have to dip into our emergency fund. And for if you've got one, you never want to dip into that. So imagine how much I laughed when after paying all of the bills, I did so without having to touch a dime of our emergency fund. And it made no logical sense. And here's the reason why I'm sharing this with you. It's not because I believe, you know, if you give God one, he's going to give you ten or whatever. That's not how this works. I'm sharing it with the, because inevitably, especially those of us who are Jesus followers, God is going to nudge us out of our comfort zone, and a few, and few things get us more out of our comfort zone than time, relationships, and money, right? And I've shared more than once about how God called both my wife and I out of, way out of our comfort zones and how we related to one another, especially in seasons where, quite honestly, we didn't like each other. And I just wanted to light her on fire and she just wanted to smother me in my sleep with a pillow because jail time seemed more, it would be more enjoyable than our marriage in those seasons. And what happened? We obeyed. And in time, God showed up in ways far beyond anything we could have dreamed, asked, or imagined. I've shared that I am not a church planner. But seven and a half years ago, God called me to plant new life. And while we are not perfect, we're rough around the edges, we still face challenges like, from time to time like any worthwhile relationship or community, here we are. The point is that God will regularly call us into circumstances and opportunities that are not comfortable. And our problem, just to give you the benefit of the doubt, for all of us, it isn't often that we're unwilling, but we struggle to feel unable. It's like, God, I'd be happy to do this, but there's no way. It's impossible. I don't know how to do what you're asking me to do, but in order for God to advance his works in this world and, make, and to make certain impacts, he is going to come to you and he's going to come to me or come to a group of you or come to us as a church and say, here is an opportunity. Here is an assignment. I want you to go out there and I want you to do this. Sometimes this comes to us through just time in the Scripture, time in the Bible. It's a sermon. It's a podcast. It's a book that we read. It's through a friend, something, a conversation, or something that we see on the news locally or abroad. It's something. But in, in, there's something, there, there's like an internal stirring inside of you that you can't quite fully explain, but you know, you know deep down that God is trying to move you in a direction and pull, push you out of your comfort zone. And for some of you today, it could be a relationship that God wants you to start. Maybe it's one that he wants you to stop. Maybe it's one, it's one he wants you to take it up a notch. Or maybe he's, he's got somebody in your life and he wants you to talk to them about their relationship with God and their relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're going, yeah, no. God, I'll pray for them. 
Okay, but, but to talk to them like I don't know how they could possibly work. I mean, what if they ask me a question about the Bible that I can't answer? They ask me a question about religion I, I can't answer. Or they're going to think I'm going to religious nut, be a religious, I'm a religious nut, so you just don't do it. Or maybe God's kind of nudging you about a career change or an education change. Maybe God's beginning to kind of give you a vision for something different in your life. And you're willing, but you think, I just, but I don't know how it could possibly work out. So you resist. Or maybe you're a teenager, a college student. God wants you to change a large, large part of your friend group because he wants, to, he wants you to be able to influence a whole other group of people. Or maybe because the people currently in your, your life, quite honestly, they're just dragging you in the wrong direction. And you're just like, God, how do I unplug from a whole group of friends and reestablish a new group? So the question is for all of us, for those of us who say we're a follower of Jesus, what are we supposed to do as believers when God nudges us out from our comfort zone? to tackle situations or opportunities or relationships that are beyond, beyond us. And that's what I want to talk about today because if we're going to try and ignore those or just simply tell God no, we miss out in a huge way on what the God of the universe would like to do in and through us in the lives of others. Unfortunately, as is always the case, we're not the first group of people to wrestle with this. If you have a Bible or a Bible app you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, first book of the Gospels uh, of the New Testament. And if you grew up in church, you've heard both of these stories. But you've probably never heard these stories connected, yet they were completely connected. These two narratives, the first part is in the book of Matthew, the second part is in the book of Mark. But they go together, as we're going to see in just a few minutes. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 14. Now, for context, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been murdered. Okay? So John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, his cousin has been beheaded. And because Jesus is flesh and blood like you and me, he just wants to be alone. He just wants to be alone to process and grieve. So he gets into a boat and goes to somewhere where he believes he can be alone, but when the people figure out where he's headed, they get there ahead of them. And, and, and the crowd swells to around 5,000 men plus women and children. And most of us would be like, oh, I just want to be alone. I just stayed out on the lake. But all he does is show them compassion. We're told that he heals their sick, and the day is passing. And Matthew, who was there, he tells us in verse 15, as evening approached, so about three or four in the afternoon, the disciples came to him and said, Lord, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus replied, and I believe that Jesus had a grin on his face before what he said next. Or maybe he turned his face away so that they couldn't see the grin on his face because Jesus knew exactly how this was going to turn out, but they didn't have a clue. Jesus replied, nah, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And I just imagine the disciples' eyeballs getting big, like, what? Because Jesus has set up a dilemma. He's given them an impossible task. You guys feed them. And then they say to Jesus what we say to God when God tries to call us to something. I'm going to insert the word but. But we have here only, but we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Like, Jesus, okay, we're willing. We're not saying no, but as we examine our resources, we don't have the resources necessary to do what you've called us to do. We're not saying no. We're just saying we can't. It's impossible. And Jesus has exactly, has them exactly where he wants them. And he begins to teach 
the lesson. Verse 18, bring them here to me. That is, I want you to bring me what you do have. Jesus says, I know. I know you don't have the resources to do what I've called you to do or what I'm asking you to do, so hand them over to me. And then he directed the people to sit down on the grass and then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave them back to the disciples and then the disciples gave them to the people. And the end result was they all ate and they were all satisfied and they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And when this happens, the disciples are in shock. Because, see, what we have to remember is the only people who really knew what was going on was a very small group of people. The crowd, they were oblivious to what was happening. And the disciples are looking at each other going, wow, look look what we, he, we did. He's, we said we couldn't, so we gave it to him, and he gave it back to us, and then he, we, we did something. How did that work? And while they're still just trying to figure it out in this constant state of confusion, verse 2 says, the first words, immediately, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat to go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. See, now Jesus has just given them an illustration of what he wants to teach them, and now he's going to test them. Now, what they didn't know is Jesus had just given them a second impossible task. It's only about a six to eight mile journey. I actually, this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Do we have that? Did I not send that to you? Well, that's what I get. So I actually had a picture, 2019. uh, We were there. It's about six to eight miles uh, across. Uh, These guys have done this many times. Peter, Andrew, James, John, they're all experienced fishermen. So what Jesus has asked them to do in their mind, no big deal. So they get in the boat, they start to row across the lake, they're talking about this incredible thing that happens, but as they are starting to get across, work across the lake, a wind starts to blow. Now this isn't a storm, their lives aren't being threatened, but it is a headwind, and the harder they row, the harder the wind blows, and they're rowing and rowing and rowing, and the wind blows, and the sun sets, and before long they're in the pitch black rowing, rowing, rowing. They're getting blisters on their hands, but they just can't cross the lake. Jesus has given them a second impossible task, given them this thing, and he's hoping they're going to connect these two situations and learn the lesson that he's trying to tell him. After Jesus had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus finally gets the solitude, the time that he needs. He's praying by himself. While out there on the water, these guys, they are just plugging away. We're going to do what Jesus said. Jesus said, row across the lake. We're going to row across the lake. And that's what they're doing. They're out in the middle, but they can't get across. So shortly before dawn, so they've been out there from sundown to about 3 to 6 in the morning. So for about 8 to 12 hours, they've been out there rowing, mostly in the dark. The wind's blowing, and they're rowing and rowing, and it's pitch black. They're soaking wet. They're only halfway across. It's just miserable. But Jesus said, go across the lake. So we're going to go across the lake. But the wind won't let them. And then something unusual, very unusual happens in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. I would have loved to have seen this. Now, Mark adds a detail to this story. Mark tells us that Jesus wasn't just walking on the lake. He was walking past them. 
Now picture it. Like they're just struggling, they're struggling, they're struggling, they're soaking wet. Like I can't even hold the oars anymore. And then suddenly Jesus is making better time than they are. It's kind of like, hey guys, like I told you I'd meet you on their side. What's taking you so long? Now these men are not cowards. These are brave men. They're men of the water. This is their element. They're in, in the boat, in the water. This is what they do. But then they see in the darkness a silhouette of a man and they're scared to death. Like, do, do you see something? Like, I see something. Like, uh, so, there is a dark, unlit, moving object moving across the water. And the closer it got, it's like it has the form of a person. So they are scared to death. For we're told when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It, it is a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. Which, by the way, I, this is just one example of why I see the New Testament is so trustworthy. Because if you're trying to make your, up a religion, you don't make yourself out to be a coward. Like, we were the men. Like, we knew that was Jesus. We all hopped out and ran with him. No, that's not what happened. They were terrified. They cried out in fear. I imagine they dropped a few Hebrew S and F bombs, okay? Like, holy, or what the? It's just like, but these are rough-hide fishermen. And Jesus is the furthest thing from their mind. Verse 27, but Jesus, here's the word again, immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. By the way, there's a whole other sermon here. Just a powerful image that the one you fear is actually the one who has your best interest in mind. But that's for another day. But from this ghostly, ghastly, dark figure comes a familiar voice. And now he's heading back towards them. And then Peter gets it. He's the only one in the boat that gets it. It's, okay, Jesus told us to feed the people. We can't feed the people. We say, all we have is this. Jesus says, okay, give me what you have. We give him what he have. Then he gives it back to us. Then we do what he asked us to do that was impossible. And somehow all the people got fed. And then he says to us, get in the boat, row across the water. But, but he knew we can't do what he's called us to do. But if I trust and do what he has called me to do, he'll do the rest. What, only what I can do, he'll do the rest. Jesus told us to cross the lake on our own, but we can't. But if we give what we have and do what only we can do, Peter begins to pull it all together. So he says, says Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out onto the water. Je Jesus, if that's you, I want you to ask me to do something impossible. Just go ahead and do it. See, Peter didn't just jump into the water and go, okay, Jesus, your Lord, if it's you, save me. No, he understood it's got to be your idea. You've got to call me. And if God calls you to do something, the will of God is always accomplished with the resources of God, and the call of God is always accompanied by the power of God. If you say, I want you to get out of the boat, with that call, you will provide the power to accomplish what you have called me to do. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Peter did the one thing that he could do, that he knew how to do. He got out of the boat. Do you know what Peter knew about walking on water? Nothing. But he knew how to get out of the boat. He swung his legs over the side. He began to walk. And after being a Jesus follower for about 35 years now, to some degree, I feel like the younger we are in our faith, the more willing we are to get out of the boat. What I mean is that the problem is, the older and the more successful 
we get, and the more that we have, and the more stability that we have, what happens? We just don't want to get out of the boat. I remember seven and a half years ago, in the earliest days of dreaming about a church we didn't even know would be called New Life, I met with a, good, one of, a great friend of mine, talented musician, worship leader that we worked alongside in the same ministry, leading at a large church, and he had recently said to me, like, man, I just, I want, I just feel I, I need a change. God's calling me to something different. And so I said to him, I said, come do this with us. Come with us. Let's plant this church together. And I'll never forget his response. <laughs> he chuckled and he looked at me. He's like, nah, plenty, plenty of church is a young man's game. I'm like, bro, you're like 10 years younger than me. Who are you talking to? And I'm not faulting him. But see, on the one hand, he felt God nudging him and moving him towards something. But when presented with a very tangible way to step out of the boat, he realized he was comfortable enough. He had stability. He had a guaranteed paycheck with benefits. He had a wife and teens at home. And in the end, he didn't want to get out of the boat. And the longer we live as a Christian, it goes from, tell me to come to you, to, Jesus, why don't you just come get in the boat with us? I mean, I finally got the boat the way I wanted. It's all organized. I know where everything is. I mean, my kids are settled and doing all right. I got my job, and yeah, sometimes it keeps me busy, but it's good. Or I'm on the verge of retiring, Lord, or I am retired. You know how long it took me to get the book, the boat to look and feel just this way? So Jesus, if, if, if you want to, come on. Just come on in the boat. Just get in the boat. Like, I know boat. I don't know walking on water, and who wants to get wet anyways? I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but maybe I've just described some of you. Like, maybe you've been coming for a while, you've heard messages from God's Word, been given clear opportunities every weekend for next steps, to step out of the boat relationally, morally, financially, with your time, and in the moment, maybe in the moment you felt it, like, that's right, like, I need that. I need to step out of the boat in this area or that or with my life. I, I know it. I can feel it. I know it. So I will. Later today. Maybe Monday. Monday was busy. Maybe tomorrow. But tomorrow never comes. Why? Because what it boils down to is you're comfortable enough to stay in the boat. Outside of the boat, it's windy. It's uncertain, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, but I'm telling you, every once in a while in your life, and I suspect for nearly all of you, it's happened within the last three months, for sure the last six months. Your heavenly Father, your Savior, has been saying to you, listen, I've got something new for you. We need to do something differently. I want to take you relationally with me or even with someone else where you've never been. I want to use you in a way that maybe you've never imagined. I want to demonstrate my lordship and my faithfulness in your life in a way that you've never experienced. So I need you to swing your legs over the side of the boat and start walking. I need you to remember 
that my call is always accompanied with my resources. I have called you. This was my idea. Now stop. Stop making excuses. Stop ignoring me. Stop convincing yourself that you don't have the time. You don't have the energy. You don't have the understanding. That you don't have the whatever. And that somehow staying in the boat is better. Come to me. And I promise you will experience a moment where your faith intersects with my faithfulness and it will be amazing. You will know me in a way that you've never known me before. And you'll be so glad that you stepped out of the boat. Have you ever had a season in your life where your faith is kind of, it was just kind of boring? Just kind of lifeless? Like, you believe all the right stuff. You've got your ticket to heaven secured. And maybe you feel kind of good that you're on the winning team religiously somehow, but you wouldn't use the words like vibrant or passionate or exciting to describe your Christianity or your, your faith. Maybe you're in a season like that right now. You know why it is that way many times? Because staying in the boat does not require the power of God. It doesn't take a miracle to just keep rowing and rowing and rowing your boat. The power of God is only experienced outside of our comfort zone. And anytime there's a Christian or a group of people or a church, they may come together, but they're not trying to accomplish something greater that requires the Spirit and the power of God. It's, the question is, why should God show up? Why should God show up in that person or in that life or in that church? Because the power of God is only truly present where the power of God is needed. And every once in a while, God says, I want you to get out of the boat. I want you to do something unusual, to do the impossible. And once you swing your legs over the side and step onto the water and just do what you know only you can do, you can trust me to do what only I can do. Now, many of you are listening thinking, like, I know all about that. I can tell you my story. Like, there was this time in the past... Because you think about that relationship that God called you into or called you out of or that direction he called you or it was a financial thing, it was a moral thing, it was an educational thing, well, whatever it was. And you can think back to that terrible, terrible time of just being anxious, like, God, how is this going to work? How is this going to work? I don't see how this is going to work. But you trusted God anyway, and now you look back and you go, oh, my God, literally, he showed up. And it makes no logical sense. See, this, this is how the Christian life is designed. This is the design of what it means to be a disciple. This is the pattern. And right now, for some of you in your life, you're experiencing this tension right now of trying to make a decision of whether or not to respond to God's call and to get out of the stinking boat in one area of your life or one another or your whole life altogether, you know it, but you're resisting because you're comfortable in the boat. God wants you to get out, to, to, to mix visual metaphors. Do we have this picture, David? This is what I want you to experience. <laughs> I feel like this is my experience on a daily basis. I don't want to do it alone anymore. But every once in a while... 
This is what God wants for, not from, for you and for me. I've personally experienced this multiple times in my life. It's why I'm gray. So you would think I would be a pro at this by now, but you need to know I'm not. Neither are you. Because again, you and I, we like being comfortable, especially for those of us that live in America. And for those of us that step out of the boat eventually, we find ourselves safe and comfortable again. It's just a matter of time. And the intensity of the moment passes, and then we begin to share about that time, back in time, where I stepped out in faith. And if we're not careful, the boat becomes pretty comfortable again. And the longer we sit there, the more comfortable, the more predictable, and the more boring it becomes. But all the way through my life, I can think of defining moments in my life, in my marriage, where God just kind of tapped me on my shoulder, began to nudge me in a direction, an uncomfortable direction, and I look back and I think how much I would have missed on if I had said no. No, God, I'm not stepping out. Now, one of the reasons I love this story of Peter is because of the way that it ends. Now, most of you know how it ends, and Peter, I feel like he just gets a bad rap because look what happens in verse 29. Come, Jesus said. Peter gets down out of the boat. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus, but then took his focus off of Jesus. He saw the wind and was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus said, no way, Jose, you're on your own. That'll teach you to not trust me. And Peter was never seen or heard from again. If you don't know the text, that is not what happens. So we, we laugh at it, but because that's what we're afraid of, isn't it? What if? What if I mess up? What if... This just makes my life more complicated. What if this makes things work worse? What if this doesn't work out? What if they never talk to me again? What if this makes it so I never get promoted? What if there's no jobs to be found? What if I don't have enough for me? What if I'm unable to build up as much of my 401k as I hope? What if I'm single forever? What if I die of sex deprivation? What if he, what if she, what if, what if, what if? Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Now, here's how for most of us this sounds when we read it. That Jesus reached out and caught him and, really, Peter? Like, have we not been together? Have you not seen enough? You couldn't have just a little faith? Like, how embarrassing. When I'm reading, I'm thinking, Peter, Peter was the only one with the courage to get out of the boat. These other 11 cowards, they're back there. I mean, your faith is so small. Why did you doubt? Shame on you. Well, Jesus, again, what about the cowards in the boat? Like, they're the ones that should be reprimanded, right? You know how I think Jesus said this? I think it's like how we say it to our young children, for those that have kids, or your young nieces or nephews, how I said it to my kids as they were little and growing up, or how I would say this to my little granddaughter. Oh, you're so close. You almost made it. Oh, you could have made it. I see the potential in you. You could have made it all the way. Peter, you're so close. Look at this bunch of cowards in the boat. You're the man. You had just a little bit of faith, just a little bit more. You were going the distance. In fact, I'm going to give you another try. I believe in you. A time is coming. I'm going to give you another impossible assignment and then another impossible assignment. And together, you're going to, co- you're, you're going to make it. In fact, you don't even know where I'm taking you and the big assignment that I'm going to give you. 
I'm just going to help you learn to factor me into the equation every single time so that you don't take your eyes off of me and trust in your resources because, Peter, you are so close. That's Jesus' response to Peter, and that's Jesus' response to you and to me when we get so close but we mess up. And then we want to beat ourselves up because we tried and failed or it didn't work out or I I thought, man, I I went so good for a week and then ah, day eight, that's his response because you are so close. His response and you're maybe at the edge of the boat and you're just gripped on with both fists and both hands like, can I let go? Will this work? Will it be okay? And Father God and Jesus are going, come on. Just trust me. Just trust me. You have no idea what's waiting for you. And when they climbed into the boat, we're told, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. And then here's how Mark ends the story of the same account. Then they climbed in the boat with him, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What he's saying is they never saw the connection between you don't have what it takes, so just give me what you do have. I'll give it back to you. Now, go do the impossible. Peter's the only one who got it. The issue's not my resources. The issue is that God has called me, and God's call is always combined with the power and the resources of God. Our responsibility is to simply throw our legs over the side of the boat and trust Him to do what we cannot do on our own. And listen, I want, I want a church full of men and women and young adults and young people who are throwing their legs over the edge of the boat and stepping out or ready for that moment when God inevitably calls for that. Because if enough of us do that, then the life and the energy that we will feel within this church community will be beyond anything we could ask or imagine. And I want that, and I hope you do too. I want to see all that God has in store for us as a community. In fact, that may be the reason is I just reflect on the last seven years of just wanting to experience that unmistakable moment of God within this community. Maybe it's not quite come just yet because too many of us have a death grip on our seats in the boat. The power of God is only present where the power of God is needed. And it's time for some of you to release your grip your false sense of control that we're all tempted to have and to throw your legs over the edge and get walking. So, in what area is Jesus calling you to get out of the boat? Where is Jesus calling you to swing your legs over the side to get out, let go of the sides, and start walking? It is time. Today's the day, and I'm going to give you a simple chance to get that first foot over the edge. None of you may respond. That's not my responsibility. But if you're someone who it's you, it's with your time, your money, a relationship, there's a need that you're aware of, something with school, workplace, in our community, our world, in your relationship with someone, in your private world, maybe even just surrendering your life to him but you know there's something God is calling you to do and it's something outside of your comfort zone. You know it's an area God is calling you, but you've been resisting, but today you would be willing to say, I'm done. 
I'm not going to resist anymore. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to step out. I'm just going to invite you to stand, to just stand up. So proud of you. Let's everybody stand. Father, I pray for all of us. I pray especially for those that had the courage to stand up. I pray, Father, that you will show them the person that they need to share that with so that the, the emotion of the moment doesn't pass and they miss this opportunity and another day or week or month goes by before they get that leg out of the boat. I pray, Father, that you would encourage them, that you, they would sense you just cheering them on in their heart and their mind and their spirit. And I pray, Father, that we would see you show up in unmistakable ways as these men and women take this next step. I pray for us as a church. God, I just sense that there's something specific that you're calling us as a body to truly engage in this city that right now I just I feel like we're missing it. And I pray that you would give us clarity and that you would then give us the courage as a whole community together to rally together to do everything it is that you have called us to do. Father, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I said earlier, I want to assure you that you are not in this alone, that, that I too have something right now where I'm swinging my legs over the edge of the boat and I'm not sharing it with any of you right now because it's personal. Right now it's between God and I. But again, I just want you to always be assured I'm never suggesting or asking anything of you that I'm not right there with you. So I'm going to be praying for you. And what it, for those of you who stood, you need to talk to someone else, someone you trust, and just share it with them so that they can help keep it fresh and help it not, make it so that the emotion of the moment doesn't pass and that you follow through and you've got the support and the cheerleader and the encouragement.